Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. Today we start a new book. Uh, it's called Ruby Under a Microscope by Pat Shaughnessy. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. So this book is all about how Ruby works under the hood. And so it's really exciting because we're going to learn more about what's going on behind the scenes when we run our Ruby programs. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club. And if you're reading along and you're on Twitter, tweet at us and let us know what you think of the book so far. We'd love to hear from you. So how did you find the reading this week? I really enjoyed it. As I was reading the forward and the introduction, I was getting really excited. And I realized that I have had that feeling with, I think, all of the books we've read. Yeah. So I was a bit like, okay, they, yes. this is, I mean, basically the forward and the intro are trying to sell it to you, Nadia. Right, so right, right, right. Don't fall for it. But then when we, you know, got into the first few pages of chapter one and we were looking at some computer science concepts and seeing how tokenization and things like that work, it was really cool because it was completely different to all the other Ruby reading I've done so far. Yeah. Yeah, that was my reaction too. Uh, I got really excited with the forward and the introduction, and I kept telling myself, "Saran, Saran, don't get too excited. Don't." I tried to lower my expectations. <laughs> I'm glad you had the same. <laughs> yeah, I said, you know, like the whole point is you're supposed to get excited about it. Like, don't just wait until you actually get to the meat of it before you, you know, before you're allowed to enjoy your enjoyment. But once we actually got to um, the the chapter one and got into some of the technical stuff, it honestly it was better again like i'm trying to be cautious because we've only read a couple pages into the first you know real chapter but it's it's kind of better than i thought it was going to be like it's you know for a book that is very computer sciencey i was worried that it would make perfect sense and be really easy to follow for someone who already has that background but because i don't i was worried that it would still be over my head um but i mean so far like pat's done a really good job in breaking it down and making it super super accessible and approachable so i really like it cool so shall we discuss the forward yeah let's do it so as soon as i read the first line i thought oh this is fun <laughs> Oh, hi, I didn't see you come in. And then my eyes quickly saw, my name is Aaron Patterson. And I was like, no wonder this is fun and kind of funny. <laughs> okay, you're a better person than I am because I read the first line, which says, oh, hi, I didn't see you come in. I don't want to be too forward, but let me preface this by saying you should buy this book. And I immediately rolled my eyes. I thought like, oh my God, like who is this Who is this fool? Uh, and then I looked at the next line and said Aaron Patterson. I was like, oh, it's Aaron. It's okay. This is now okay. This is now entertaining. So like knowing who it was changed my annoyance to to being entertained. So yes, it is Aaron. And he, there was originally, I think, a first version of this book published. And then he was asked to do a technical review of it to make sure it was up to date. And he talks about how he had a really great time reading it. And I think one of the things that got him excited about this book was how accessible it was, given that it is about Ruby's internals. And often it can be quite an intimidating topic to tackle. Yeah, and it really made me feel better because in um, in that forward, he says that people often ask him, well, how do you learn how Ruby works under the hood? And he never had a really great answer for people until this book. For people who aren't familiar with Aaron Patterson, he's really, really big in the Ruby community. Um, I Is he still on the Ruby core team? I assume he is, but I, I don't know. I think so. At least by the time of this publication, he was both on the Ruby core team and the Ruby on Rails core team. So he like really, really knows how things work and he really knows the internals. And so having someone with that technical um, expertise in this topic specifically 
specifically vouch for this book made me feel like, okay, cool. Um, and specifically saying, this is not this is not just a good explanation, but this is a good way to learn how it works was, uh, was really good. Cool. So shall we go into the introduction? Mm-hmm. So Pat starts by talking about how Ruby syntax is deceptively simple, but in fact, it's an incredibly complex tool. Uh, because the fact that Ruby is dynamic means that Ruby programs can inspect and change themselves. This is what we call metaprogramming. And in fact, I didn't find this quite surprising because when I think about it, I think something that is such a joy to write and read so easily and, you know, has seemingly so many tricks and things that are given to you, I felt like there must be a lot of complex things going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. That was my thinking anyway. Yeah, yeah, that totally made sense to me too. Um, And I was really excited because I, I feel like there are a lot of words that I hear people use and I use to describe Ruby that I don't, I, I couldn't explain to you. You know, even when we talk about Ruby being dynamic and metaprogramming, like I, I have a sense of what these things are, but I couldn't, I couldn't like give you a really good example of it and speak about it in, you know, with any authority, like any real authority. And so the fact that right at the beginning, we talk about Ruby is dynamic. And then he explains using metaprogramming, Ruby programs can inspect and change themselves. You know what I mean? It just, it instantly set up the expectation that he's not going to assume that I'll look at the sentence Ruby is dynamic and totally know the ins and outs of that, you know, like there's, there's an expectation that as the author, he's going to really walk me through these words and what they mean and what they look like. So that alone was really reassuring. I think that's the first time that I've seen dynamic and metaprogramming used together in that way. So one is a definition for the other. That was also my reaction. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's a cool way to explain it. Because when I said to, I know I said to many people who've asked me whether they're in software or not about Ruby, I say, oh, it's a dynamic language. That means it's not compiled. It's not statically typed. So like, I, you, you know, just I say use more, like that. more words, <laughs> like more computer science words. Yeah, but it's like, ah, okay, it's dynamic. It's got this quality about it which we can explain using metaprogramming Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so with respect to who this book is for so pat's assuming that it's not a beginner's guide to ruby he says there are many of those out there and it's for people who are programming in ruby using it daily and although the book is going to discuss a lot of concepts in c using diagrams you don't need to know any c any c to understand the book However, for people that do know C, there are going to be snippets of C code throughout the book in in boxes and extra detail on that section, which people can deep dive into if they want. But we're not going to follow those sections over the course of our discussions. And again, just going back to how this book is structured and the approach of it, I really appreciate that. You know, I really appreciate that there is there's almost like two tracks in this book. You know, like if you Mm -hmm. if you really are more comfortable in Ruby and that's your sweet spot and you're really trying to get through that, then this is the main track but if you know some c and you want to dig a little bit deeper get a little bit more technical on that side of things there's there's an option for you too so just good job pat you're doing great you're doing great so far (laughs) (laughs) so next we talk about using ruby to test itself Uh, and it starts off with a quote that i really like it says it doesn't matter how beautiful your theory is it doesn't matter how smart you are if it doesn't agree with experiment it's wrong and that is by richard Feynman. and so this is something that um I, you know, really brought me back to 99 Bottles where we talk about how important it is to test things, not just, you know, testing in terms of specs, but testing to make sure that what we're doing makes sense.
sense and that it is correct and we're doing small changes and, um, and iterating and all that. And so here we talk about how after we learn each part of Ruby's internal implementation, we're actually going to do an experiment and use Ruby to test itself. So we'll be able to really see if what we're talking about works, not just because Pat told us it works, not just because theoretically it should work that way, but we'll be able to see the proof for ourselves. I was very happy to read that section. Me too. I was like, yeah. brilliant, because this is a perfect way to, It's it, you know, it's part of the learning process to iterate over it, but it gives something practical to do whilst you're reading the book, which was something I appreciated as part of 99 Bottles. So I was very happy to see this. So then there's a section on which implementation of Ruby we're going to discuss. So Saran, how many implementations of Ruby would you have been able to name before reading this book? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I feel like maybe two, like maybe MRI. No, no, three. I knew Rubinus. And Rubini- is Rubinius? Is Rubinius. That, that word? Yeah. So I've heard of JRuby and Rubinius. So if I remember them, like two more, I guess. I didn't know there were so many, though. So the thing is, for example, I've heard a lot of a lot of these, what I've heard of Ruby Motion and MRuby as well. But if you someone had said to me before reading this book, list Ruby yeah, implementations, yeah. I, I might not have known. Like, I, I didn't know Ruby Motion was classed as a Ruby implementation. Yeah. I just thought, oh, it's a thing that enables you to write mobile apps within, in Ruby. Yep. I don't know what that thing was. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. so there are a load of implementations of Ruby, but the one that we're going to be looking at in this book is the original standard version, which is known as MRI or Matz's Ruby interpreter, named after the creator of Ruby, Yukihiro Matsumoto, and his nickname is Matz. And he invented Ruby in 1993. But, you know, as we just mentioned, there are so many different alternatives Ruby Motion, Mac Ruby, Iron Ruby. There's Rubinius, which is interesting because it was built using Ruby. So it's a version of Ruby built using Ruby. But there's also. So weird. Yeah, but there's also like <sighs> JRuby that was built using the Java runtime, I think, the Java mm-hmm. virtual machine. So and we're going to dig into that in later chapters of this book. So that'll be interesting. So the last part of this introduction is a quick overview of the chapters. Um, so just to highlight a couple of them, we're going to start with tokenization and parsing. We'll talk about compilation. We have a thing on metaprogramming, of course. We have stuff about objects and classes. We have garbage collection. So there's a lot of, you know, when I was scanning this list, I was thinking, yes, same. these are all the things that I, I've heard about and I can talk around, but I'm so excited to finally sit down and dig in and really understand it. So I'm, I'm really excited for this list. Was there anything that stood out to you as particularly exciting? I think it was the breadth of it. Like you said, I was like, oh, cool. I really want to understand what happens when I give um, the computer a Ruby program. Yes, I want to know more about virtual machines. It would be really cool to dig into other implementations of Ruby and see how they're built up. And also, yeah, garbage collection. You know, those are the sort of computer science concepts that I've heard about but want to dig deeper. So it was more a feeling of after reading the overview wow, by the end of this book, I'm going to have touched all of these things. I'm really excited to just have a better, thorough understanding of them. So chapter one is about tokenization and parsing. Again, two words I've heard a ton and really excited to to dig in. Um, and actually before that chapter, there is a, a little quote. And I think just about every single section of this book starts off with a little quote. Uh, and this one says, your code has a long road to take before Ruby ever runs it. 
And I thought, ooh, that's so intriguing and exciting. <laughs> and so here, uh, we start off with a question which says, how many times do you think Ruby reads and transforms your code before running it? So when you when you read that, um, Nadia, I mean, the answer is like right there, but when you read it, did you have a, um, a sense of what that number was? Did you have a, a, a guess? So it was annoying because I read like I see chunks of words at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I straight away saw once twice the correct answer is three times. But then I, I, I wrote a note which said, thinking about this a bit separate to the book, what would you have said? And I said, I think I would have probably said mm, once, maybe twice. Mm-hmm. If someone had asked me and I hadn't seen the book, that's what I honestly think I would have said. Yeah. And I, I, I think that anything more than one sounds ridiculous. I'm like, what What are you doing this? What are you repeating yourself yeah. for, Ruby? Like, that was my reaction. But I think um, what was really interesting about this is when I read Reads and Transforms Your Code, I assumed that we were reading the code that I wrote and transforming it, like, three ways. And that's not really what's happening and what it means. So when we talk about how, um, how it does that transformation... It says that you start off with your Ruby code, then it has Ruby does a, a first pass, right? Does a, a runs through and, and transforms it once. And at the end of that, you get a tokenized version. You get all these tokens and then you go through it again and then you parse it and then you go through it again and then you compile it. So what I didn't understand the first time was I thought it was starting at the Ruby code on each round and like Same. doing it. You know what I mean? Like like starting with chicken and making like three chicken dishes versus taking that chicken and then breading it and then I don't I don't know how yeah, chicken is made roasting you know, the and then roasting yeah. it and then fry, you know. So yeah, that was a that was something that that threw me off. I didn't understand until I saw the graphic. I was the same. So once I understood that it was three processes that are happening on the same code, it made a lot more sense. For example, if the question said, how many processes does your code run through before it's run? Yes. And I might say, hmm, 20, 50, I don't know, it's quite exactly. complex. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. That was the difference, yep. So we ran through the, the three steps pretty quickly. Um, one is tokenizing the code, which means that it reads the text characters and then converts them all into tokens. Then we parse those tokens, which means that we group them into meaningful statements, kind of like the way you group words into sentences. And then the final step is compiling. So we compiled those statements we made into really low-level instructions that a virtual machine will execute. Okay, so the first thing that we're going to do is take a closer look at what happens when our code is tokenized. So we start with example 1.1, and it's a very simple Ruby program called simple.rb. So the code reads 10.times do n puts n end. And so there's an example 1.2, which shows that if you were to write in your command line Ruby and then passing in the argument simple.rb, so executing that program that I just read out above, then you'll see zero, one, two, three, um, and it will go all the way up until up, up until nine. So the question is, as soon as you type Ruby simple.rb and press enter, what exactly happens? And this is where I was like, okay, it's cool to still be excited about this book because I love yes. the diagrams and the way Pat breaks down this process. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, what exactly happens? So 
what we've got is, so the first thing that Ruby does is it reads in the text from your code character by character. So we've got figure 1.2 in the book. And what it is, is it's loads of squares together and each square is filled in with one of the characters from the program. So the first box is one, the second box is zero, the third box is a dot. And what happens is the Ruby code starts at the first character. And so in this case, it's a one. So it says, okay, I'm, I'm in number mode. I've got a number. And then it goes to the next character and sees a zero. So it's okay, I'm still in a numeric character. And so what the Ruby C source code is doing is that there's a loop that reads in one character at a time and then makes a decision based on what that character is. So with this program, we've got a one and a zero. And so it's going to keep iterating over the characters until it finds a non-numeric character. So we've got one, we've got zero, and then it goes to the third character, which is a period, because it's 10 dot times. So at this point, Ruby's thinking, okay, it could still be part of a number because we have, we have floats, so we can have a 10 point something. However, when it gets to the fourth character, it gets, the, the C source code reads a T. And so it's like, aha, this is our first non-numeric character. So Ruby stops iterating, because that's what the code is programmed to do. So at this point, it it goes back one, back to the point, and it converts the numeric characters that it found into the first token. And this token is of type T integer, and it's a lowercase t and then all capitals integer. And what we see in the book in figure 1.8 is we see um, a little gray box which says T integer 10. And then we've also got the rest of the code split up into characters going on from there. So then Ruby continues. So it steps through the code just as before, grouping the characters as necessary. So now it takes that period as a single character and takes that off into its own group. And then we go on to the T. So Ruby identifies that there's a word times because it goes T-I-M-E-S, then hits the space. So it says, aha, I've got a word and it creates an identifier token for the word times. And the label for that is T identifier. And identifiers are words in Ruby code that are not reserved words. So we're gonna get onto reserved words later. So identifiers are typically variables, method, or class names. So I have a question about how it did that. Is it safe to assume it went through the same process it did with integer where it went through T, then I, then M, then E, then S, then hit the space and said, wait a minute, this is no longer a word. Let's take a step back and tokenize. Yes, I think that's okay. what, exactly what happens. Okay, cool. So then it does the same with the next bit, which is the word do. So it says D, it does, it sees O, and then it has space. Now do is marked differently. It's marked as a reserved word token, and that's indicated by keyword underscore do. And so reserved words are keywords that carry significant meaning because they're part of the, the framework itself, the language itself. So they're reserved words because you can't use them as normal identifiers, but they can be method names, global variable names, so dollar do, for example, or instance variable names. So like at do or at at do, so class instance variables. So I have a question, which is that, so it says that the reserved words can't be used as normal identifiers. And above, identifiers are variable, method, or class names. 
But the reserved words can be method names, global variant names, or instance variable names. So that leads me to think that the only thing left that you can classify as a normal identifier are local variables and class names. So reserved words can't be local variables or class names, but they can be the other things. Yeah, I wonder what makes those normal. Like that word normal is the thing that's really throwing me off because Mm. like I would consider a method name to be, assuming the word normal means like, you know, kind of like your average identifier, you know, your like not special identifier. I would think that method names are normal, you know, are kind of like average and common. So I'm not sure. I don't know what it means by normal in this context. If anyone knows, let us know. Mm -hmm. And so this was interesting. Example 1.3 in the Ruby C code, there is a table of reserved words, and it's just a list. So it's listed alphabetically. The first few are alias, and, begin, break, case, and class. I know this is a really simple thing, but I think that's why I like it, because it's so simple. It's like, wow, how does it know what the special keywords are? Oh, it's just a list. Right. Somewhere. (laughs) In, you know, (laughs) duh. Yes. I mean, it's very obvious. If someone had asked me, I, I would have said there's probably a list, but I just love that it's it's so simple. Yeah, it reminds me of, um. there was a quote, I think it was, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, there was a, there's a quote right before the introduction that said, what seems complex from a distance is often quite simple when you look closely enough. And like, that's such a great example of it. You know, like this idea of like, oh, how does it possibly know? Oh, it has a list. Really simple. Yeah. So now that we have finished tokenizing keyword do for that first line of code that we're walking through together, there are three more pieces left in that line. So we have our tokenized pipe symbol, and then we have our tokenized N, which is T identifier, and then we have our final tokenized pipe symbol as well. So we started off with how many pieces were there? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So we started off with 15 of these characters. I think they count as characters, right? Mm-hmm. At this point? Yeah. So we start off with these 15 characters. And then once we've tokenized them and we've uh, put them in and assign tokens to the different parts, we end up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So we end up with seven tokens. And we are done with our first run through, with our first journey uh, on our way to making some Ruby do real work. So this week, I think the reading for me was probably a nine out of 10. I don't feel comfortable giving it a 10 because, you know, it was a forward, it was an introduction. So I, you know, I feel like when I give it a 10 out of 10, I want it to be like all technical, you know, juicy meat stuff. So I'm going to give it a nine out of 10 for, for the reading this week. Nadia, what about you? What's your, what's your score? I was going in at an, at an eight. Eight? And it was oh. similar. Okay. It was really good, but I just want to give room for more amazingness coming yes. on. And like you said, it was the forward. I remember it was a sales pitch yeah. and the introduction, a lot of setting up stuff. So, But I'm very excited. So we want to know, what did you think of the reading this week? Tweet us your score at Ruby Book Club and tell us how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio. Cheerio.